The Gut Pharmacist Podcast with Riley Ramosco, traditional naturopath and holistic nutritionist. Nutrition for gut health. That is the topic today, and we know there are so many conflicting views on that. So I'm bringing in an expert, a registered dietitian, Katie Lovett who is very functional and holistic. She lives in Texas and is a wonderful wife and mother and also dog mother. She experienced firsthand how the conventional medical system fails people by not asking the questions how and why, especially around gut health. Katie Lovett, RD, is on a mission to empower thousands of women to get the answers they need in order to accomplish true healing from chronic gut symptoms. Katie believes that health is a lifelong journey and, if done properly, a fun and delicious one. So let's bring in my registered dietitian expert, Katie Lovett. Welcome to the Gut Pharmacist Podcast. This episode, we have dietitian Katie, who will tell us about nutrition for gut health, which is a very confusing topic because there are so many different diets out there. It's like, which one do we do? What's the best? So Katie will clear up all the confusion and focus on gut health today. So Katie, thanks for being on my show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Riley. I'm so excited to be here. We've talked so much on Instagram for a long time. And so it's great to be here on your podcast with you. Of course. Yeah. It's an honor to have you. So give us a quick background, why you went into dietetics, why gut health specifically, just give us a quick rundown of your history. (laughs) Absolutely. So it was a little bit of a meandering way into dietetics. (laughs) I went to college and like many 18 year olds didn't really know what I wanted to do, but you have to pick a major as soon as you start school. Right. And I went into mass comm and journalism and PR because that's what my best friend was doing. And I was like, I don't know. That sounds fun. We did high school newspaper together. Let's do it. (laughs) And quickly... I quickly realized it was not my cup of tea. Not for, you. I just, not for me. I was so bored. I was like, man, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. But um, with that major, you had to have a science without a lab. And so when I was selecting my classes, the one that kind of stood out that sounded interesting was nutrition, introduce, introduction to nutrition. I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. Like I'd love to learn more about how the nutrients interact with our body and what foods, you know, are good and help promote health and how it all works. And I did it and I fell in love with it. And I was like, this is really cool. This is what I want to do. So got um, accepted into the nutrition program at the University of Oklahoma, where I was at school into their health sciences center and did dietetics. And I was a little bit disappointed, I would say by what we learned, it was just very clinical, right? Most dietitians graduate college and start working in a hospital, seeing patients in a hospital, helping calculate tube feedings, all of that. And that's more sick care. (laughs) And I really wanted to do something where I was promoting health and helping people really be vibrant and thriving in their lives. And so I actually, um, worked for a food company, a big corporation. I did food labeling for them and was like, you know what, if I can't, I didn't feel like in a hospital, I could have a big impact on people because you're educating patients right after a major 
heart surgery, you know, for five minutes and they're not in a place to really receive that. So it's like over here, I can impact the food supply and make sure that the food is labeled correctly. And it was a really, not many dietitians get that opportunity. So it was a really Hmm. cool experience stepped away from that when I had our first daughter and, um, discovered functional nutrition and quickly realized this is what lights my fire. This is what I wanted to learn about in college. And in college, I got a really great foundation of the biology and chemistry and biochemistry so that then whenever I jumped into functional nutrition, it just all clicked and came together and made a lot of sense. And then whenever I was looking at, you had asked about gut health and why I went into gut health when I was trying to figure out, you know, functional nutrition is such a broad topic, right? But I thought the area where you can have the biggest impact with the least effort, that's really a foundational thing is the gut, right? Mm -hmm. If you go chasing down these other systems, but your gut is what I call a hot mess, your results are going to be limited because you have to have that foundational gut health to build upon from there. So that was why I chose gut health. Love that. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I can totally relate. Um, I did, uh, my minor was actually in dietetics and my major was kinesiology, but all that stuff together is just so fascinating. And once you're meant for something, you really know, and then you'll do anything, whatever it takes to get there. Yeah, for sure. So you've told me before you talk about how the inside world of the gut is like the outside world. So tell us what that means. Yes. Whenever I can't remember where I first heard this, it was not my original idea. Um, but when I first heard this, I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, I have to share this. I have to continue to share this message. But if you think about your digestive tract, it's like a garden hose that's straight and then really windy right down in your abdomen, but it's open at the top and at the bottom it's like a tube, it's a hose. And so it's actually open on both ends. It's the outside world. And I call our gut barrier. It's kind of like um, the bouncers at a club where they're like deciding who gets into the body and who has to stay out, you know, who's not invited. Um, So it's really the key to it. You know, it's like our skin, right? It's a barrier between the outside world and what comes into our body. And I don't Mm -hmm. think people think about that with their gut, right? Like you think about, oh, you put food in your mouth and it's in your body, but no, it's still technically on the outside. Your gut does all of that job that your skin does. Yeah. Excellent. And so we talked about what we are going to talk about nutrition. And I mentioned that you'll go over that. And there are so many diets out there. You know this, I know this, the the people who aren't even in health know this. So which one or ones are your favorites? If any, talk about what you prefer for nutrition for gut health. And I know Riley, this is something we really agree on. And I think have kind of bonded over. I think we have a similar approach to this. So the way I like to break it down is there's a short-term plan and a long-term plan. And the long-term plan is what's going, it's really what's the difference, right? Between continued success or seeing success and then your symptoms coming back over time. Most of these diets and food plans and food sensitivity tests, all of that, they're focused on reducing your symptoms right now today. It's more of a Mm short-term plan. And that's fine. It can help you feel better. It can be a tool to help give you the capacity 
to do other things and focus on the longer term, because let's face it, when you're miserable and your whole day is surrounded by knowing where all the bathrooms are or being so bloated that you can't be comfortable in your body, that's all you can focus on. And it can feel really hard to even think about the big picture. Exactly. So I think about elimination diets, food sensitivities, stuff like that, um, low FODMAP diets, and that can't more as a short-term plan in most cases. Um, and then the longer term plan is actually going to look like reducing overall inflammation, um, by reducing foods that are inflammatory, like highly refined foods, environmental toxins, increasing nutrient density. Um, I'm sure you've seen the study that the 30 food study that's showing people, you know, who have at least 30 different plant foods a week have a lot lower risk of having chronic digestive symptoms mm -hmm. than people who don't. And so just that's something that your listeners can do right now is just track how many different kinds of plant foods they're eating in a week. I have people all the time come to me and say, Katie, I can eat five different foods right now without my symptoms, like completely flaring or like, I'm, I'm scared to eat anything right. outside of this small group of foods. And the problem is that just perpetuates the, the issue longer term. Right. Um, but yeah, and we can definitely talk about the instance that the food sensitivities can play a role in the longer term plan too. If you, if you want to go into that, I think it's something that, that needs to be talked about too. Yeah. I think, um, we can get into that now. I mean, if you want to yeah. just briefly go over that, yeah, that's yeah, a good topic. So it's yeah. So I think I, I don't know. You know, we get so sucked into like what we know and it's hard to remember what other people don't know <laughs> because we're so in it. Um, I think food sensitivity tests are still pretty popular. I have been talking about how they're not like all that in a can of Coke at the, yeah, <laughs> at the, I'm not a know, fan for personally. a while. <laughs> um, I think all it does is adds additional fear where people are already fearful of food and adds more confusion, but you really need a guide. I do test for food sensitivities sometimes when it's appropriate. If we're really needing, like I said, a short-term strategy to help someone's symptoms get under control now, it can be really helpful. And then I don't, do you use Vibrant America Labs ever, Riley? No, I've heard they're great. I'm aware of yeah, them, but I don't. <laughs> they're, they're really good. And they have a food sensitivity test um, that can test for IgA sensitivity. Okay. And IgA is an antibody actually in the gut. So mm -hmm. if you do that test and somebody is having a sensitivity to a food in the gut, what that means is every time that the gut is in contact with that food, it's creating inflammation, it's creating an immune response. So in those instances, avoiding that food longer term may make sense. I right. had a client where you know, we'd made a lot of progress. Um, she'd been doing a lot better, but she's just still had some lingering symptoms. And so we did this food sensitivity test on her that tested for IgA and corn came up as one for her that she was having a local gut reaction every time she ate corn and corn's in everything. Like it's not right. just, you know, tortilla chips or, you know, um, like canned corn or frozen corn it's, you know, in maltodextrins and thickeners and seasonings and all of that. So she started getting really careful and watching her food labels. I helped walk her through what to watch for. And that was like the key, like that was what really pushed her over the finish line of 
getting her symptoms at least like 90% improved, which is always my goal for, for clients to see that, that level of improvement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you have IgA triggered, you're impairing the lining of the gut, you're increasing inflammation, you're releasing histamines, the works. So IgA is a really great marker. I think most tests are probably IgG, which is okay. It still gives us information, but it's more of a, a temporary response. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's more tell and it's more telling us, okay, you have leaky gut. Like you have some of those, those bouncers at the club, if you will, like I was talking about (laughs) some of them fell asleep on the job. Right. And or got damaged or taken out by the mob. If you want to go to like a New York club, (laughs) (laughs) they're they're not there at the door. They're not the, those gatekeepers aren't working anymore, but it doesn't actually do anything to, to put them back into the position that they need to be in. It doesn't do anything to help heal that lining necessarily. Um, and then of course the other example of a, f- a food that need that could be cut out longer term is like a gluten. When you have a celiac disease, yes. um, there's a lot of research, you know, with gluten just really being problematic for a lot of people. Not everyone. I won't go as far as to say every single person needs to cut it out, but right. there is a big connection with autoimmune, with thyroid all of that. So yes, thanks for mentioning that. And you talked about plants eating a variety of plant foods. So now we're seeing all these practitioners from doctors to nutritionists and everything in between. They're against plants because they're harder to digest. They have these so-called anti-nutrients. So what is your take on plant anti-nutrients? Yeah. I mean, make everything overcomplicated, right? Like (laughs) some people, maybe, maybe they'll cause some issues, but I would say far and wide, more plants equals more gut health. I mean, for the most vast majority of people, they're only going to help. You know, some people may feel, may find that they do better with cooked vegetables, cooked plants instead of raw you know, certain types. Um, and that's something where it's personalized, you know, that's why I think both of us have really personalized work with our clients. And we don't make a lot of just blanket recommendations of everyone eat this, everyone cut this out. It's really what it's, it's about finding what works best for you. You know, we have these major basic recommendations, and then we can go in and fine tune and make small adjustments to fit each person. So if you eat a plant and it makes you feel worse, don't eat it for now. And then we can work on reducing inflammation, healing that gut lining that you, like you were talking about, um, and then trying it, you know, and then you may find it's not, it's not causing a problem. Yeah. I love that. Temporary elimination is great. Helpful for symptoms, like you said, but for you and I, I think we agree the long-term goal is diversity and tolerance. Mm-hmm. A healthy gut is diverse and tolerant to many different types of foods. So Absolutely. you explained that really well. Now you talked about the basic foundations that you give to everyone and you fine tune. So what are these basic principles that you give to everyone in regards to healthy nutrition? Yeah. So we've touched on some of them, but I have what I call the six segments for optimal gut health. And it's something that I teach on in my course. Um, So the way I work is I have a course that explains these foundations because I found in doing just one-on-one coaching with people, we just didn't have time to get to everything. Right. So I 
bundled up all my like need to know information into a self-paced course so that then when I'm meeting with people either in our group or one-on-one, we can personalize and build upon what they know and we're kind of coming to the table ready to have a conversation instead of spending time educating them. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's what I call the six segments for optimal gut health. And it's mindset, which is a big one. Right. We have to have our mind in the right place. We have to know why we're going after this, why it matters. Otherwise, as soon as it gets hard, people are going to quit. Or as soon as they see a little bit of improvement, they're going to quit, you know, because the the fire got turned down a little bit, but the problems aren't resolved and they'll probably come back, you know, if you go back to the way things were. So mindset's huge. Understanding what digestion is how absorption works, why it's important, what normal elimination even looks like, because that's not something that people even understand. Um, Nutrition and hydration. So what should people eat? How much water do people need to be drinking? What about coffee and alcohol? All of those things need to be understood. Um, environmental toxin exposure is a big one. Um, and then rest and relaxation and exercise and movement. So those are the six big, I call them segments because my thing is lemon. So if you look at like a slice of a lemon, you have each little segment in there. Um, but that's what I teach on in my program. Yeah. Love it. Okay. And then you do elimination temporarily, you said, and do you have a reintroduction phase? How long does that take? I'm sure it's different for everyone, but on average, how long does it take for your clients to start reintroducing and eventually get back to a diverse diet? Absolutely. It depends on the person and it depends on what's going on. Um, if you've been listening to nutrition podcasts for very long with somebody who takes a really personalized approach like you and I do, uh, you probably heard it depends a lot yeah. <laughs> because it really does. <laughs> yeah. So I don't do a blanket elimination diet for every single person. Like I said, if someone comes to me and they're eating five foods, like there's not really anything else to eliminate, right? We start reintroducing right away for the most part, or I start understanding what they can tolerate and we start taking action towards reintroducing. Um, So a lot of the time it's a both and. So we are looking at, okay, what are you eating in your diet that's causing harm to your gut? And what are you not eating that we can add more of into? Um, So that is most people. If I have somebody that's really struggling and they really want to go all in and we do a food sensitivity test or we do a low FODMAP diet, I'm hesitant to do a low FODMAP diet because it's so hard to understand. It's really, really challenging for people to grasp and to follow and do it correctly. But if somebody is just really like gung ho and wants to do it, I am really well versed in it and have resources to help people. But we'll normally do that for about, you know, two to three weeks is really all it takes. And then we start reintroducing, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, one food every couple of days and see it. And it depends too. If someone's struggling with diarrhea, they're going to know a lot more quickly how they tolerate a food than someone struggling with constipation, Mm -hmm. right? Diarrhea, you can tell within the day, right? How you're doing or not doing with it. But with constipation, we normally wait like three or four days, you know, between reintroducing foods that they're really not sure about. 
Love that. And it's so hard to answer questions when you do personalized protocols. It's always, I can't answer that. It depends. I need more information. (laughs) I know. I get it. Trust me. (laughs) So that's helpful though. Yeah, it totally is. With that being said, what are some of the factors that kind of help you determine what nutrition plan your client should be on? Absolutely. First and foremost, it depends on their goals what they want to accomplish and what they're up for and what they want to do and have the capacity to do. And I think that's something that's really absolutely missing in definitely conventional practices, right? Like understanding what the client's definition of health is, is so important, right? What they want to achieve may be completely different than what I would assume that they would want to achieve. And I don't think that question gets asked a lot. So that needs to be understood first. And then it's really looking at, okay, well, how much energy do they have for the kitchen and preparing food and the bandwidth? I mean, I have a client right now who has six kids that she homeschools. So her bandwidth is going to be a lot different than a single 35 year old who has a, you know, a nine to five job and, you know, lives with her boyfriend or something like that. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's really looking at their ability and what they want to accomplish is, is biggest. And then we start looking at, okay, where, what can we tweak? So someone who has a higher bandwidth, maybe we do a bigger overhaul, more changes at once versus somebody who doesn't have as much bandwidth. We're going to do smaller changes that are more, um, doable and easy to work into their daily life. Mm, Love that. And I think, did you mention your six step gut health protocol already? Yeah. Uh, Okay. What are the six again? Well, I mentioned the six segments for gut health. Apparently there were six. (laughs) This is the six stages of gut rehab. Okay. So, so it's different. Um, it's something that I noticed every client does on their journey, whether they're working with me, probably if they're working with you, if they're trying to do it on their own, um, they all tend to go through all of these different stages. And so I thought it was really important because I think a lot of the time we just, um, you know, expect immediate results, right? We're used to immediate results. I do this, I do that. I get this result. We want it to work like a math equation, And it just doesn't work like that, right? So I wanted to break down this journey that people go through just to set expectations of what it really looks like, how to know if they're on the right track, how to know where in the journey they're at so they know when the breakthroughs are coming, um, and when to just be encouraged to continue moving forward. So I'll run through those really fast. So stage one is what I call the hot mess gut. This is when people are just surviving. You know, that's all they can think about are their symptoms every day. Um, They're just really struggling. You know, they don't really know what to do about it. They're maybe feeling overwhelmed, even thinking about trying to get help. Um, They don't really equate their symptoms to having a bigger meaning. They are not able to find a pattern between what they're doing or eating or stress or anything like that with, um, with their symptoms. It's just kind of a mess. And I identify the person as the hot mess gut because it takes up too much space in their lives, right? Like it becomes them, it becomes their identity. So whenever they move out of that stage, they're moving into stage two. 
And this is called the root cause researcher. And this is when somebody starts to have an idea of, hey, there's something more to this. It's not just these symptoms, like something's causing them and I want to figure out why. And so they're just researching. They're listening to all the podcasts. They're reading all the blogs. They're reading all the books, but they can kind of get stuck in this research mode, looking for the perfect answer, the perfect solution, the perfect action to take. And so somebody may stay in the space forever and then give up and slip back into hot mascot without ever actually trying anything. Um, or they can move forward and do what I call um, the short-sighted action taker. So that's stage three. And I take short-sighted action with my clients. I encourage them to take short-sighted action where you have all the facts, you have all the levers available to you to pull, and um, you take action. You pull a lever and you see where it takes you. Um, the problem is that people doing this on their own don't realize that they're taking short-sighted action. They think this is the only lever that there is to pull and I pull it. And if it doesn't work perfectly, they don't know what else to try and say, so give up mm -hmm. or they go back into research mode or they go back into the hot mess gut. But working with somebody like you or me, we know it's short-sighted action. We know we're taking the best action we can with the information that we have at the moment. And we're seeing what additional information we get from taking that action and choose the next step and mm -hmm. choose the next lever because we are able to see, oh, there's 25 different levers that we could pull. This one makes the most sense based on what the client wants and is able to do and their symptoms. Um, and so then if they keep moving forward, they will at some point become a discouraged healer. <laughs> oh. they, they are taking action. They may find some progress. Um, they may slip back. They may plateau and it can feel really frustrating. I think we've all been there, right? If you're on a healing journey at some point, you're going to be on a track that you think is the right track and you're going to feel kind of discouraged at some point. Like, when is this ever going to end? I am never going to feel better. I've plateaued. I'm slipping backwards. I don't know what else to do. Um, and it can take, it can send you spiraling backwards. You can feel kind of stuck here for a while, but if they keep moving forward and keep taking that action and keep stepping into that healing journey, the next step is a really cool step. And it's the emerging soul is what I wow. call. Um, so they go from feeling like just really discouraged. They don't realize the breakthrough is just right there. You mm -hmm. know, they just keep moving forward. And a lot of the time people come to us, I suspect as this discouraged healer where they've mm -hmm. tried some action, they've made some progress and it feels like it's not working or they got better and then things got worse again. And they're really frustrated and discouraged. And so having an expert to help just partner and link arms and come alongside them can help them move into this emerging soul. Um, the emerging soul, they're starting to see some really great results they're feeling a whole lot better. Maybe they're having an 80% reduction in their symptoms. It's awesome. But what's lacking is confidence and their body's resilience. They're not sure it's going to stick because they've been burned in the past. Um, they're not sure if something's going to come along and mess it all up. And so that's when they can borrow confidence from us. And we can help them navigate this stage. And then once they finally believe in themselves, believe in their body's resilience, and they understand all of the different aspects of their bodies, what their body needs, um, what tends to be off balance when their gut symptoms are flaring again, and then having the tools to go back in and correct that both short-term and long-term, that's what I call the vibrant soul. And that's wow. when they're living their 
embodies their life's purpose. They're shining bright. They're living and impacting other people. So you can see that really cool transformation from the hot mess gut, which was their whole identity to a vibrant soul. So it doesn't happen overnight, but of course not. That is so beautiful. (laughs) Just to see that spectrum. Yes, you're here, but you can get here eventually. If you just keep going, don't give up, maybe find someone who can help you. That is very helpful. And it gives hope to a lot of people because I know we're all in our own different stages. I feel like, um, I'm dealing with a neurological disorder and I feel like I'm probably in the middle with that, but my gut is great. I can eat pretty much anything. So That's my great. gut's solid. I'm, I'm glad to yeah. be at that point. Cause I was at a point just like some of our clients who couldn't eat a lot of things, they'd have symptoms. So just keep going everyone. Don't give up. If you need someone to help you, there's so many resources out there. Just like Katie, she's very helpful. So thanks for sharing those. So those were the six stages. What do you call those again? Six stages, the six stages of, of gut rehab. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing all that information. Now tell Absolutely. us um, if you have any announcements where people can find you, any resources that you want to share. Yeah, absolutely. So if you liked the six stages of gut rehab, if that really resonated with you and you want to hear more, I have my own podcast and I do an overview episode of like all the six stages at once. And then I do a deeper dive on each of those stages. So definitely go check that out. I release new episodes each um, Thursday. I think Riley, you'll probably put the link up for me, right? In your show notes. So Mm y'all can click on that, but it's called the Nourished and Thriving Show. uh, Wherever you listen to podcasts, move on Instagram a lot um, at the underscore healthy gut underscore dietitian. Um, And yeah, just start a conversation. I'd love to talk with you. I think Riley and I both have a huge heart to help people and um, walk alongside you and link arms. And if you're in one of those stages, whether it's hot gut or discouraged healer, like, like Riley said, just every action that you take, take it as information and feedback and continue to move forward and don't give up and shine bright. And you have a purpose on this earth and an impact to make and keep that in focus and it'll help you to feel more inspired and encouraged instead of frustrated. Yes. So beautiful. I agree with you on that. Just keep going. There are answers. The body is so intelligent. It knows exactly what it's doing. If it's just giving you warning signs, these are just, like you said, information. So just take that feedback and keep going. That's really all we can do. Just do the best you can. So Katie, you are so sweet, so knowledgeable. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully people will reach out, use your amazing resources and education. And again, thank you so much for being on. This was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Riley. I love talking with you. Of course. Well, take care, Katie. Thank you. You too. Bye. (laughs) Hey there, thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at gutexpertriley, on Facebook at The Gut Pharmacist, same spelling as this podcast, on YouTube at The Gut Pharmacist, and my website is holisticriley.podia.com, where you can find information on working with me, my background, and more helpful information to feel empowered in your journey.